Well, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14 is our sermon passage. I'm going to give you a minute to turn there while I take a sip of water. Dramatic pause. How could you not, on Christmas Day, Sunday, Christmas Day, how could you not preach from Luke chapter 2? Let's stand together for the reading of the gospel and just attentiveness to the Lord's voice in it. Beginning of verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you now, as always, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this precious story to us. Thank you, Lord, that when we open your word, we can do so with the expectation that you have something to say to us in it, and that when it's preached, your voice is heard. And so we ask that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory. This is all yours, Lord. Would you move me out of the way, especially today? And make your voice to be heard for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, this is bound to be one of the most familiar scenes in the Bible. Simply because of the abundance of manger scenes all over you know, Christendom, I guess, you know, uh, the U.S. and Europe and so forth, um, even places that have become 
rather irreligious in lots of respects. There are manger scenes that uh, as, as everywhere you find Christmas trees, you probably find manger scenes not too far away. That is to say that uh, even non-Christians in many places have some notion that Jesus was born in a stable among animals. Of course, the Bible doesn't actually say, as we just read, it doesn't say that there were animals present. And it doesn't even say that it was in a stable, right? And you've heard some of this before. Uh, just say it says he was laid in a manger, a feeding trough. It may have been a stable like we see. It may have been a cave. There's an early record that says it actually may have even been inside of the living quarters a person lived in. Um, that where animals slept inside. But the point is, it's a familiar story. And so, when we come to read it, when we come to preach it, we may just sort of close our ears and shut down. I heard all this before, that sort of thing. So, I, I want to look at it this morning from a perhaps a slightly different perspective. And consider this. Here's my sermon in a nutshell. Again, sometimes I have the uh, ability to obscure what's quite clear if I didn't say anything. And so let me, uh, let me state the point real explicitly. That at the birth of Jesus, God moved heaven and earth to bring salvation to the world. In the, in the event, that is, of the incarnation, when God became man, that, that, that actual event, God moved heaven and earth in order to bring that about, bringing salvation to the world. So I want to focus our attention on Caesar Augustus, sort of turn the spotlight on him a bit, and then on the angels We'll sort of focus there to draw out this observation I'm making. And along the way, I also want to notice a couple of dramatic contrasts that are given here for us, I think quite on purpose. But let's consider for a moment Caesar Augustus. Because we don't know much, if you've, if you've only read the Bible and haven't read uh, history books, you wouldn't know much about Caesar Augustus otherwise. But he was officially the first Roman emperor. So uh, when Rome had transitioned from a republic to being an empire, um, he became the first Roman emperor, and many regard him as the greatest. So he's sort of like the George Washington of Rome, you know. Uh, the first, and because of just the foundation he laid sort of one of the greatest leaders Rome ever had. Some would say one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known. He vastly expanded the boundaries of the empire during his reign and established, you know, just structures of government and administration and so forth that uh, kind of solidified the empire for generations. And so he was revered. In fact, his, his name was actually Octavian, he took the title Augustus. That name means revered or majestic. A name, actually, a title, rather, 
that had been ascribed to the gods. But he considered himself the son of gods and others came to consider him a son of the gods. In fact, it was with him that emperor worship really became sort of a cult of sorts in Rome. There was an, an inscription uh, at a place called Halicarnassus. I can't believe I can even pronounce that today. But uh, an inscription that called him the savior of the whole world. That's how Caesar Augustus was regarded and how he regarded himself. So that's the man who issued a decree that every man must go to his hometown to be registered in a census. He had no idea that he was an agent in God's plan. No idea at all. But God's plan was for the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. This was a prophecy about the Messiah. The Jewish people knew to expect a ruler to come out of Bethlehem. God's plan was for the Messiah to be born there. The problem, it would appear, is that Mother Mary lives in Nazareth. She needs to get to Bethlehem to have that baby. Any of you mothers who have had babies can imagine there's no reason you want to travel to Bethlehem to have a baby. Not that you know anything about Bethlehem. I don't mean any slight against Bethlehem. I just mean, you know, you don't want to go somewhere unfamiliar, far away, and so forth. And it's nowhere, nowhere on her radar. There's no reason she would do that. But that's what the prophecy says. And so the decree of Caesar was the instrument God used to get Mary to Bethlehem. So Jesus would be born where the prophet said the Messiah should be born. And so here's the first contrast we see here about God moving heaven and earth. He's moving earth. Like you could see the pieces of the chessboard moving around, right? Through the decree of this, the most powerful man on the planet, I suppose, at that time. But here's the contrast that the man who thinks he's really, or thinks he's in control, really isn't. Turns out God was moving the chess pieces around the board, and the one who appeared to be the king was really a pawn. And the one who was treated like less than a pawn, the baby Jesus, was really the king. The man who thinks he's a God and Savior just ordered the delivery of the only God and Savior to his proper birthplace. Don't you love that? Love how God does stuff. 
Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Wherever he will. And so he did with Caesar Augustus. Moved the earth by simply using the power and maybe even the hubris or pride of a great leader. He moved earth, but he also moved heaven. Particularly, specifically, the angels. Or we see that manifest in the part that the angels play in this story. You know, as you read on down and beginning of verse 8, the shepherds were in the field. Angel appeared and made an announcement. And we read that announcement in verses 10 and 11. The angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Y'all know that from the Charlie Brown Christmas, right? <laughs> and then a whole multitude. One angel announced that, and then a whole multitude of angels shows up. And in verse 14, they say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So heaven knew who the baby Jesus was. And God assembled a heavenly choir to perform an impromptu concert out on the countryside and announce his birth so that people on earth would know what just happened because everybody on earth just missed it. And that draws out the second contrast that I wanted you to notice here. You'll notice that the heavenly host gave Christ the king a grander welcome than the earthly host did. In fact, he didn't get much of a welcome at all on earth. He left heaven to come to earth for the benefit of earth. Heaven rejoiced, but earth did not. Well, that's exactly the plan and the expectation. John 1.11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive them. And one of the, one of the points I wanted to highlight in all of this is that while God was shuffling people around, you know, shuffling people around the whole empire to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, and who knows what else God accomplished. He can multitask, you know. There might have been some other people who need to get sorted out in that too. While he's shuffling people around the whole empire to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, and while he's ordering a host of angels to congregate over the shepherd's fields, he did not order anyone to make room for Jesus. 
He didn't. You think he couldn't have done that? In fact, I think we would really have to say that he had ordered it exactly such that there was no room for them in the inn. He didn't arrange for Mary to give birth in a more comfortable, more sanitary setting. Jesus started at the very bottom. That's part of what this birth narrative is supposed to tell us. You know, the message goes to shepherds. He's born and laid in a manger in the, in the, in the most meager of conditions. That's, it, it's, we're supposed to get the idea. Jesus started at the very bottom. You've heard success stories of people in corporations who started in the mailroom and worked their way up, right? The proverbial mailroom. It's a real mailroom, but that's kind of becomes like this proverb of starting at the bottom. Well, the manger is lower than the mailroom. Right? And, and, and he started, he started at the very bottom. Jesus would have the lowliest kind of birth and he would die the lowliest kind of death. Not only the worst and most gruesome death itself, but, but uh, one where shame was, was so cast upon him and we considered that uh, recently in our study of John. But he had the lowliest kind of birth died the lowliest kind of death because he would touch the depth of every human need such that there is no one whose suffering he cannot understand. I read as a call to worship Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. The verse in between there, verse 15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In every respect, Jesus has suffered as humans have. He started at the very bottom. God ordered it so. For our good, he moved heaven and earth to bring salvation to the world. And here's the good news. He's still moving. (laughs) And he's still saving. And God always gets through to his people. He always gets through and reaches his people. As he did here, I mean, delivering the Messiah to his intended birthplace, shuffling around the whole empire. He always gets through to his people, all the apparent obstacles. When we think about people who don't know the Lord, we think about loved ones who don't know the Lord, people who are sheep, 
who belong in the, his fold. Sheep who belong to the good shepherd, they just don't know it yet. He will get through. He always gets through. Because he can move heaven and earth to bring salvation to his people. All the apparent obstacles, all the perceived barriers, just mark the path that brings the good shepherd and his sheep together. He finds them and keeps them because they belong to him. That's the good work that Jesus did. And that's the good work that began on this day when God moved heaven and earth to bring salvation to his people. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we, we can rejoice with the angels that there is good news of great joy that you have brought a peace even in the midst of a tumultuous world, even in the midst of a world that continues to be tumultuous. That through the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins that you have made peace for us that we might be reconciled to you. God, we thank you just for the details like this in the scripture that tell us how you have orchestrated the affairs of men in extraordinary ways to accomplish your work of redemption. Thank you that that was true in the lives of all of us who believe. Thank you, Lord, that that will be true in the lives of some maybe here today who have not yet believed in Jesus but who will. And God, it's my prayer that every person in the sound of my voice would come to know you through the precious gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you work that miracle in the hearts of people whether today or in the days to come, according to your good purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.